0: So, none of us are completely what we thought we would be, Um, especially when it comes to family and your roles within the family. Most of us are maybe not um, the son or the daughter that we thought we would be, or maybe we aren't the spouse that we wanted to be. Um, Perhaps, probably for a lot of us, we had ideas of what we wanted to be as a parent, and... How many parents know that you go in with some (laughs) lofty ideals and you get caught up in it all, and the next thing you know, you are not quite the parent that you imagined yourself being? Um, And in fact, there are times, I I don't know about you, I'm pretty sure about you, but for myself, for sure. um, There are times that I find myself... getting on my children. And all of a sudden, I just stop in shock and horror as the words that are pouring out of my mouth um, are direct quotes from my parents. Uh, And when that happens, sometimes you feel like you're not even in control. It's like the, the, the ghost of parents past have inhabited you and are now controlling you with with your children. And for some of you, um, you know, it's kind of humorous and you're like, "Oh yeah, look at that. I've turned into my dad. I've turned into my mom." Um, for some of you, it's horrifying. Because you've done everything you could possibly do to not be your parents. Um, because it wasn't a good experience growing up. And as we talked about the last few weeks, the reason that that happens It's because there are traditions that have been handed down to us from generations that went before us within our family. Um, During our upbringing, we were trained in certain things, whether we knew we were being trained or not. And the reason that you feel out of control is because those things that are handed down, um, they are so powerful that they can override our good intentions, and they can override your values and they can, they can override your theology, right? And these traditions that are handed down, they're not just, they're not just um, neutral, like they happen or don't happen. Like they're emotionally charged. When you start dealing with some of these things, like the emotions that rise up, and, the, and there's a lot to catch up on in this series. If you haven't been here the last couple of weeks, I really, really encourage you to go back and listen to the podcasts. Um, you can get to them on the website because we've, we've covered a lot of ground and I don't want to take up too much time reviewing this morning, but last week we looked at the principle behind the whole thing. And the principle being that what you experience in your youth stays with you and affects you in your adulthood. And there's just really no way around it. It's a principle, And as we talked last week, rules you can break, principles you don't break, you break yourself against them. But whether good or bad, what has happened and what's been your experience in childhood follows you into adulthood. The way that you react to stress, the way that you handle difficult situations, the way you allow your anger to take over In certain situations, the way you communicate, the way you treat those closest to you, um, the way you manage relationships, all of these things have been handed down to us and we were trained in these things as a child. Wow, I never heard my, you know, I never heard my parents talk about any of that. Yeah, yeah, you probably didn't, but you saw it and you know how it made you feel when they did those things to you. And so last week, we looked at the start of the process of beginning to break some of these traditions uh, that are negatively affecting us, that have come from our past family and are affecting our current family. And, And the first thing that we looked at, the very starting point, does anybody remember what it was? The first part? Yeah. Refuse to excuse. Refuse to excuse. I said those words. I'm responsible for those words. Those were my actions. I'm the one that did those. And here's the thing. It's so easy for us to do that because for so many of us, our words and our actions have a legitimate source. We have experienced things. We've gone through things. We've had things ingrained in us. And the emotions come up and we can logically defend them, but they're driven by emotion and we tend to excuse them away. Well, they made me or if they wouldn't, And other people may trigger those emotional responses, but ultimately, if we want to break with the traditions of the past that are negatively affecting us in our adulthood, we have got to refuse to excuse our words and our actions and hold ourselves accountable. Now, today, I wanna look at a few other aspects of the process. And last week, the refuse to excuse, like that's gotta be done first. If you never get past that, none of the rest of it will happen. The rest of it is... Not necessarily a paint by numbers. It's just a process that you're gonna have to go through parts of it. There's not an order. I'm not able to give you a list that you're able to start checking them off one at a time and you'll come in next week and say, all right, I've broken with every tradition of the past. Thank you so much for that. Um, but if you have your Bibles, we're gonna be in 2 Chronicles chapter 34. And we're gonna look at a king in Israel who had to break with generations of, of tradition in his family. And in this story, th- there's probably five or six really good principles in this story. And this is covering Josiah, who is one of the kings of Israel. And I'm only, gonna, I'm only gonna look at about three of them today. And so I encourage you this week to go back and read this story on your own and look for some of the other principles in there. We just don't have time to deal with them today. But this takes place around 650 BC. Um, So we're a good 400 years after King David. Um, And Josiah was king of of Israel and his father was named Manasseh. And Manasseh was, he was was terrible. Um, The history of Israel is filled with terrible kings and Manasseh was one of the worst. In fact, he was such a bad king that it was his goal to rid Israel of every remnant of the Jewish God. He wanted to to get rid of everything that had to do with the Jewish God, the Jewish religion, everything. The, The law that was handed down from God to Moses, to the Israelites, he got rid of it. Literally, physically got rid of it. He brought idols into the temple. He killed all of the Jewish priests to get rid of them. I mean, this guy as king of Judea did more as an insider to damage and to ruin Judaism than any outsider in all of history ever did. I mean, he, he was just terrible. So then his son comes along, Josiah's father. Josiah's father's name is Amnon. And Amnon wasn't any better. Um, in fact, Amnon followed exactly in the traditions of his father. Um, he, 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 didn't, he carried on the worship of idols within the temple. He, he did nothing to reestablish Judaism. In fact, he brought in more foreign gods into the land. And followed in the tradition of Manasseh. Well, Amnon was so bad uh, that eventually those who were closest to him got together and assassinated him. And a rebellion immediately followed. And in that rebellion that followed the assassination of Amnon, all of the men who got together and started the whole thing with the assassination were killed and wiped out. And in the middle of all of that, Josiah was crowned king. Now, there's several amazing things about this story. But one of the most amazing things about this story is he was crowned a child king. He was 8 years old. When his father was assassinated, a rebellion happened and they put the crown on his head. And he took over at a time when his culture was a mess. They couldn't find any copies of the scriptures. And as you read this story, Josiah decides to break with the tradition of his father and of his grandfather. Now, this is a political story. You read through this and you can, you can, take, the, you can take the religion aspect out of it. And this is a straight political story of power and control and assassinations and rebellions. And, and, and it's a great It's a great story. But as you read it, there are three principles that are so powerful that if you are struggling to break with the traditions of your family, that is if in your adulthood, you are dealing with the negative traditions that have been handed down to you. Man, these three principles will go a long way of beginning to set you free. And if you wanna create new dynamics in your home, Not primarily for your sake, but for the sake of your children and the generations to follow. There's some good stuff here for you to do. The first thing that Josiah did was he found a role model. Chapter 34, verse 1, it says, Josiah was eight years old when he became king. And you knew that because I just told you that already. And he reigned in Jerusalem 31 years. And he did what was right in the eyes of the Lord and followed the ways of his father, David, to which you might be saying, wait a minute, Andy, you just told us his father's name was Amnon. Like what's with the David stuff? Yes, I did. I did tell you that. Let's keep reading. In the eighth year of his reign, so when he got to be 16 years old, while he was still young, when I was 16, I was dreaming about my driver's license and getting my driver's license, and dreaming about everything I would do with my driver's license, and totaling my car two days after I got my driver's license. (laughs) This is the mess I was dealing with when I was 16. I wasn't dealing with a nation that was a mess, and trying to break with the tradition of my father and my grandfather, who had been terrible kings. But here he was, while he was still young, he began to seek the God of his father, David. Now, what's very important early on in this story that the writer establishes is this, is that Josiah knew that he could not, if he wanted to have a successful reign, he could not follow in the traditions of his father and his grandfather. And so Josiah looks back over the lineage of kings that Israel had had before him because he needed to find, who can I take my cue from? Who can I pattern my reign after? And he settled on King David, who was many, many generations back within his lineage. But as he looked at some of the things that King David had done, established temple worship, delivered so many victories to the kingdom of Israel, he said, okay, I'm gonna pattern my kingdom after the way that David ruled when it was his kingdom. And he didn't didn't know exactly when he was starting out looking. He didn't know exactly what he wanted his kingdom to look like, but he really knew what he didn't want it to look like, which is a position so many of us are in. So many of us have had experiences where we're like, yeah, I'm not exactly sure what I want my family to look like, but I'm pretty clear of what I want to avoid, of what I don't want it to be. Now, now this is, this, is, this is an important principle because as he looked back, he was like, okay, I don't know what I want it to look like. So I'm gonna search for others until I find what I want it to look like. It's powerful. And we need to remodel our relationships because instead of just saying, all right, I wanna be a better parent because everybody wants to be a better parent. Instead of just saying, okay, I want to be a better spouse because everybody says they want to be a better spouse. Okay, I just need to try harder. We put a lot of emphasis on on our trying, on our willpower, on our effort. And if we're efforting more, then we feel like we're being successful, even though nothing may be changing. And instead of just thinking ideally or kind of abstractly, like I want to be just better, here's what we need to do. You need to find someone You need to find someone who is living the way you want to live. You need to find someone who has the type of family, who has the type of marriage, who handles their relationships the way you want your family to look and your marriage to look someone who is living that way, somebody who will help cast a new vision for you and not some theoretical vision of like, okay, here's the ideal and I wanna try and get there, but a practical, this can be done. This is what your family atmosphere can feel like. This is what you should expect. This is how you should behave. This is how you love a woman. This is how you love a man. This is how you nurture your children. And one of the most powerful things that you can do to break from negative family traditions, to create new traditions, to hand down something better to your children is to have a real life relationship with someone who is modeling what it is that you want. And when you do this, there's there's gonna be emotion that rises up. And not necessarily the negative emotion tied to the things that you've had, but as you, as you watch and are around somebody who's like, yes, they're getting it right. I wanna do it like that. There's gonna be positive emotions rise up, emotions of hope, of I can do this. This is attainable. That can rise up and battle against those negative emotions of your past. And it's powerful and it's compelling. And when you see like, oh yeah, there really are marriages like that that work, even though I had not been exposed to any of them before. There really are people who deal with stress and difficulties in a productive manner. There really is a family where dad doesn't just disappear when things get tough. There's a family that communicates and works through their issues. Imagine that, (laughs) they exist. And it's a game changer. And it can help you set a standard. It's kind of like this. When I was a kid, I had posters up on my bedroom wall. Anybody have posters on your wall when you were a kid? Yeah. And on my wall, I was obsessed with basketball. Like, I was sure I was making it to the NBA. I was, for a while, I went through a real bitter stage against my parents for the genetics that they passed down to me. Um. But on my wall, I had posters of a particular basketball player. Anybody want to take a guess? Michael Jordan. This was in the height. This was in the height of the Jordan versus the Pistons days. And I had posters just all over the place. You know who I did not have posters of on my wall? I did not have posters of Jay Murphy on my wall. Anybody anybody know Jay Murphy? No, of course not. Nobody knows Jay Murphy. Jay Murphy was a reserve forward for the Washington Bullets in 1987. (laughs) Jay Murphy got into nine games that season and scored two points all season. I did not have posters of Jay Murphy on my wall. I had posters of Michael Jordan on my wall. Because Jordan was everything that I wanted to be as a basketball player. And he was what I attained to. And he was what I held up. Realistically, I couldn't even be Jay Murphy. But yet there was a standard of what I was looking up to and what I wanted to be. And there's elements of that that, that's good because it would drive me and I just spent hours and hours and I was, you know, I was only ever going to be so good, but I got that good because I was driven by joy. But there's a negative side of that as well. And that is, is that, you know, there just weren't basketball posters. There was, was, you know, I I had some posters of some movie stars, well, at least television stars. When I was young, uh, Yeah, yeah, uh, watching Who's the Boss? Alyssa Milano was on Who's the Boss? I just thought she was the greatest thing to ever walk the earth. I remember I had a poster, and there was a, she was wearing a hockey jersey and a pair of jeans, and there was a hole in the knee of the jeans. My dad comes in one day, and he says, I told you I didn't want any posters with skin, and takes duct tape and puts it right over her knee and walks out. (laughs) I'm like, no, I'm trying to peel it off. <laughs> well, the problem with that is, is that as you idealize certain things, it's like there's, there's, it kind of creates some expectations that are unreal. If I were to hold, you know, as a kid growing up, like if in my mind, all of a sudden I thought, well, you know, for anybody that I want to maybe be with in my life, they've got to be, poster worthy in every manner and rich and famous and successful like all of these there's goals that's why you get a kid like me you know scrawny nerdy little nothing kid who's maybe a five if he's lucky on the scale of one to ten walking around thinking i'm deserving of a ten <laughs> i will settle for no less because that's the poster on my wall And sometimes we can set ideals within our family that are just ridiculous. And this is one of the things that's so great about finding somebody who's living out what it is that you wanna be. Because when you do that, you'll realize there is no perfection. And you will find families that's like, okay, that is so great. They're what I wanna be. And as you begin to get to know them, you're like, oh, they have issues too. They have struggles too. They face challenges as well, but they handle them different. They're not perfect, but they're ahead of where I'm at. And how are you getting there? And it kind of sets an attainable standard for you to begin to live up to. Now, fast forward a few years. Okay, a lot of years. Fast forward a lot of years, somehow somehow I managed to get what I think is a poster-worthy spouse. Not all of you are so lucky. (laughs) But the idea of finding someone in real life that will help you get to where you want to go is absolutely powerful. Now, there's a flip side of this coin. The flip side is, is there's some of you there's some of you that maybe you're, you're thinking, you're thinking, huh, maybe I need to play that role for somebody else. I mean, pff, I've got it all figured out. My marriage is great. <laughs> I'm perfection. Let's mentor someone. Like, yeah, yeah, you do that. And ideally, realistically, none of us are thinking that because we all know the problems in our own marriage. But I would challenge some of you. You've learned a lot. You've come through a lot. What your marriage is today is not what it was at the beginning. And I encourage you, pray. God, do you want me to step into that role? That even though I haven't attained, that I can help those who are just starting out down the path. And the frustrating part of this principle is that like, this isn't something you can just walk out and do. You can't just walk out to lunch, see a nice family at the table, walk up and be like, hey, I'm Andy. I was wondering if I could follow you around and imitate your marriage. Like, that's just weird and like, you know, you might get thrown out of the restaurant. But begin to pray, God, bring someone along to give me that real life example that I can begin to follow. So here's the second thing Josiah did. The second thing he did was purge the land of anything, anything that might drag him or the nation back into the traditions of his father or his grandfather. It says this, in his 12th year, he began to purge Judah and Jerusalem of high places, which is where all of the pagan worship would happen. Asherola, poles and idols. Under his direction, the altars of the Baals were smashed and the Asher poles and the idols. These he broke into pieces and scattered over the graves of those who had sacrificed to them. And he burned the bones of the priests on their altars. And so he purged Judah and Jerusalem. And it goes on like that for several verses, all of the things that he did. But there was a tenacious commitment on his end to get rid of everything that even hinted of the past. Anything that had the potential of taking him or his people down the wrong path, it's gone. I mean, he ground up the bones of the dead priest. That's a commitment to being rid of the past. He took extreme measures. And look at the last sentence in this section. It says, and then he went back to Jerusalem. And I like that because it means he did it himself. He did not sit and send some people and say, go do this. He personally oversaw it because it was so important to him. Now, this is challenging. This is really challenging because something we need to be involved in if we're to break from our tradition is purging our world. We need to purge our lives, we need to purge our families, our closets, our drawers, our computers, our phones, our relationships the things that drag us back to the world we are trying to break out of. Now, for some of us, that means there are some relationships in your life that need to end. Because you're in relationships with people who push the hot buttons and begin to drag you back into everything negative about the traditions that are holding you down. And when you're with them, it does not go well. Some of you may be in relationships with people who are extremely critical of their spouse. And when you're with them, you find yourself listening and beginning to join in and become a part of that. You need to purge your world. Some of you are friends with people who play fast and loose with their marriage. And maybe that's something that's part of the tradition of your family that you don't wanna be a part of. You need to purge your world of those relationships. Does God love them? Yeah. Yeah but he'll send somebody else to connect with them who doesn't struggle with those issues. You need to do what's right for you and your family and get out of those relationships. And most difficult, most difficult, here's where this gets really hard. Some of you need to back off of relationships with family members. And this gets tough, but you need to get away. You need to create some distance. And sometimes that means an actual physical distance. To break with the tradition that is holding you down in your adulthood, you need to do some things that are radical, which may mean that you you cannot break the negative traditions and cycles while being in relationship with the ones who have handed it down to you. And that's tough because the wounds are too fresh and the patterns are too familiar and you're too easily dragged down into it. And for the sake of allowing God to help create a new family and new traditions for you to hand down, you may need to create some distance. Now, let me warn you, they will not understand. (laughs) There is no way that you can explain it to them in which their response will be, oh, I completely understand. I get it. You do what you gotta do. And when things are good and you're ready to come back around, just come on and we'll just pick up and you know, it'll be good. It's, it's not gonna happen. There will be hurt feelings, but it may be necessary. There may be no other way for you to break from it. And the lens that you need to see this whole idea through is that in the light of my past and what I've experienced and considering where I want to be, what is the wise thing for me to do? What is the wise thing to do? Not what is everybody else doing? Not what will the people around me understand? Not what's the acceptable thing? What are other Christians doing? Huh? uh based on where you're coming from and what you've experienced and based on where you wanna end up, what do you need to do? And that can be challenging. And it isn't just relationships. Some of you need to purge hobbies, locations that you frequent, activities, viewing habits, coping mechanisms that you use as a crutch. There are things in your life if you wanna break the traditions that you have got to purge out of there. The last thing he did was this. He decided to reestablish the temple as the center of Jewish life. He, and while they were cleaning out the temple, getting it ready because there were so many foreign idols and whatnot in there, while they were cleaning it out, they actually found a physical copy of the law that they thought had been destroyed forever. And they bring it to Josiah. And Josiah is so thrilled that he says, I want you to gather everyone. And they're like, Everyone in the palace? No. Everyone in the temple? No. Everyone in the city? Yeah. And even further than that, gather everyone. Because he wanted them to hear a reading of the rediscovered law. Here's how that went verse 29. And the king called together all the elders of Judah and Jerusalem. And he went up to the temple of the Lord with the people of Judah, the inhabitants of Jerusalem, the priests and the Levites, all the people from the least to the greatest. And he read in their hearing all of the words of the book of the covenant, which had been found in the temple of the Lord. Man, I should try that one day. I'll just have nothing to say. Gather together, I'm gonna open, we're gonna start reading and however far we get in 40 minutes, (laughs) there's what we'll be. But this is essentially what he did. The king stood by his pillar and he renewed the covenant in the presence of the Lord to follow the Lord and to keep his commands, statutes and decrees with all of his heart and all of his soul and to obey the words of the covenant written in this book. In the book of Second Kings, which parallels in the timeline of the Old Testament parallels this time, here's what it says about Josiah, and this is so powerful. Second Kings it says this: Neither before nor after Josiah was there a king like him who turned to the Lord as he did, with all of his heart, and with all of his soul, and with all of his strengths, in accordance with all of the law of Moses. Never before or after was there a king who said, scripture is the standard, period. And listen, here's why this was such an amazing thing for him to do. Because Josiah was king. King established the standard. The king established what was right and what was wrong. Whatever he declared right was right. Whatever he declared wrong was wrong. And he could have declared anything. And with that power and in that moment, he said, what I declare is that scripture is the standard. I will not make my own standard. I will not. Now listen, I can excuse any behavior around me if you give me enough time to figure out how to do it on an intellectual plane. I can excuse any of it. But subverting scriptural standards only strengthens the negative traditions that have been handed down to you and keep you from changing that culture, from changing the environment and the atmosphere of your family and handing down something better. So you've got to set the bullseye and that has got to be your target. And whatever may want to draw your attention to one side or the other, you've got to refuse to move the target. And you do, not, you do not recalibrate the target based on your behaviors in your environment. You recalibrate your behaviors based on the target, which is where so many of us get off track. Now, let me give you a practical way to do this. I'm gonna warn you right up front. Most of you won't. But here's what you need to do. Because if you do this, it will make all of the difference It'll make all of the difference between, man, I have seen such a change in my life and man, I heard that sermon and it didn't do anything for me. Like here's the the breaking point right here. You already know, you already know the traditions that were handed down that you struggle with. I could sit here and let you guys come up and start talking and tell them and we could sit here all day long. You know what they are. Here's what you need to do. You need to find passages of scripture that deal directly with those issues. Not just kind of generically, directly. And you need to memorize those. And when I say you need to memorize them, I don't mean like, yeah, I'm familiar with it. It's something about this. Like that. No, I mean, memorize like you've memorized your phone number. Like, can anybody still quote the phone number that you had when you were a kid? right? Mine is etched in my mind, 227-3698. Like I got it till the day I die. The number that I had when I was a 10-year-old kid, I will remember. I'm talking about that kind of memorization, that when the moment arises without hesitation, when those emotions begin to rise in you, when those dark clouds begin to gather, that God can bring those words to the forefront of your mind. And without pause, you can speak scripture, to those things because when you do, you will find that the power to exercise self-control in those moments is greater than you ever thought possible. When you begin to speak scripture to those moments, you will find that the lens through which you interpret those things begins to change and that you begin to recognize aspects of it that you did not before as you have invited God to be a part of overcoming those things. And that is way different than I'm going to try harder. That is way different than I'm just going to be better. That's specific. And it's because God's word is more powerful than your intentions. It's more powerful than your will. And it's more powerful than your commitment. And it's given to us as an instrument of change. But it's no good if you don't use it, if you don't do it. And if you're serious about breaking from the negative traditions of your past, you've gotta do this. Find a role model, purge your life of the things that drag you back and set scripture as a standard. And this is a process. None of you are gonna be able to walk in next week and be like, nailed it, all better, we got it. It's a process. But if you want to break free from your past, these are parts of the process that you must engage in. You do not have to fall into the traditions and the behaviors that have been handed down to you. You do not have to hand those things down to your children. But to avoid that, you must engage in the process. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you that through the scriptures that have been preserved for thousands of years, that you have laid out for us a way to break free of these things that are creating negative environments in our family. Lord, I thank you that even though we... uh, even though a lot of us would rather just bury our heads in the sand and not think about it, that you bring these things to our attention through your word. And that you don't leave us in the hopelessness, but God, you give us the steps to move forward into what you have for us, the relationships, the family that you intend for us to have. Lord, I pray this week that as we begin to recognize these things inside of us, Lord, help us to engage in the process. Lord, make it clear to us where there's something that we can do to begin to break these negative traditions. And when we fail, help us to accept your mercy and your forgiveness and to accept your strength try again. Lord, I thank you for all you've done for us. And I thank you for everything that you have made it possible for us to be. Be with us as we go in your name. Amen. Amen. Thank you so much for being out. look forward to next week as we continue talking about being behind family lines.